Hey everyone, our guest this week is Riggs Morales. Throughout his career, Riggs worked with legendary artists that changed the genre of hip-hop, such as Eminem, 50 Cent, and more recently, Wiz Khalifa and Janelle Monet. After being appointed as director of A&R at Shady Records by Eminem and Paul Rosenberg, Riggs is currently vice president of A&R at Atlantic Records. We talked about the evolution of hip-hop as a genre and how to stay ahead in the music business. We hope you enjoy our conversation, and here is Riggs on Came A Long Way. So, um, for some of our listeners who might not know, um, you're a very successful A&R at Atlantic Records right now, Mm -hmm. and um, you signed many important artists throughout your career. So, at what point in your life you decided to work um, closely with artists and become an A&R? I decided to work uh, in the field of A&R, which I did know existed. I didn't know what A&R was until I read an article uh, on Puff Daddy. This might have been in 1994 or 5, and A&R is basically a talent scout. Someone gets paid to go out and look for talent and to pick records you know, off the album, and uh, I, I, threw it into, I threw it out into the universe, which sounds like the generic thing to say, but quite honestly, in hindsight, that's exactly what I did, and you, know, you start from there. Um, and I started working my way into the business or looking for a way to work into the, into the business in a variety of ways, uh, interning at a production company, answering phones. Uh, I kind of tried photography for a second. I, I bought a disposable and would go to events and just like, you know, hey, can I get a quick photo? Not with me, of course, just of the artist. And, um, you know, that was a fun way to get access into these, uh, into these events. And then eventually I landed, you know, a, a gig at the Source magazine, which at the time was the Bible of, of hip-hop and the biggest selling music magazine on the stands uh, by the time I was done in my tenure there. So, yeah, that's, that's how I got into A&R. And you witnessed the evolution of hip-hop, as I would say, and seen all the change throughout the years. What's your uh, take on where the hip-hop is headed and what's its impact is going to be in the future? It's still young. That's the thing people don't realize. I, I, caught, I was fortunate enough to document the second tale of hip-hop's golden years. Like prior to that, you know, you had you know, the old school, then you had the golden era, which was like the era that I came up on. And then I was a first-hand witness to the era that came after that, which is up for debate as to what to label it, the throwback era, the golden era. But um, that was when hip-hop really became massive commerce, at least for the first go-around. Um, you know, um, Biggie, Tupac, like a whole another level of legends came out of, the, came out of that time period, which is the 90s, of course. And... Um, sometimes we got to remind ourselves it's still young hip-hop is i don't even think it's 40 years old yet maybe it is but even still that's relatively young for any kind of music genre um it's evolving it depends on who you ask it's evolving for the good it's evolving for the bad um but every generation is different i think i got to remind folks because i have a much more broader reference um when run dmc came out they were frowned upon by the generation before that and, you know, when the Puff Daddy era came into play, that was frowned upon by the purists and the MCs. Just like, you know, the kids now the, the, with the tattoos on their face, the SoundCloud, they're frowned upon by the generation prior. And at some point, these kids are going to frown upon whoever the next generation is going to be. And we don't know what that is. And that's the beauty about this hip-hop thing. It's evolving. I love where we're at now. You know, um, 
it's an acquired taste. But you, um, if you could find the right people and the right artists, you know, I think you can have some fun with it. And for me, I listen to music nonstop, so my ears numb, so the really good stuff stands out. It almost like rings my ear. Uh, for those of y'all who still haven't, I rely on my ear more than I do on metrics. And um, you know, I'm right now keeping my eye out on who's the kid inspired by Tyler, the creator. Who's the kid inspired by Travis Scott, who put out some of the best body, his best body of work to date? Uh, there's a kid that's going to be influenced by these guys. It's going to evolve from what's going on now, you know. So um, it's 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 a good time. And as an A&R, you have an artist roster of your own. So how do you recruit talent? What are some of the like key components you look for in a talent? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I always find something, I try to find something distinct, uh, whether it's a voice, perspective, approach, just something distinct that's going to separate it apart from everyone. Um, I've kind of got a bit of a reputation for playing on the left side of the field. Um, I came up just looking at things a little differently. I like to look when no one else is looking. I try to hear what nobody else is hearing. And sometimes you land upon, you know, you know, a, a major, you know, a major moment. Even when I was at the source uh, at the time, my main job, one of my first jobs was to curate the unsigned hype column. The unsigned hype column at that point was the most prominent outlet that an unsigned artist can get. Prior to me taking over the column, um, the column had discovered DMX, Mob Deep, Capone Noriega, Common, DMX, like legend after legend. So that was a big responsibility, but that was also for me, my portfolio, to show that I can find talent. So during my run there, I would highlight, you know, David Banner, Cardinal Official, Joel Santana, but the most prominent was Eminem. And I remember when I first profiled Eminem, this must have been in 97, white rappers weren't like active like that. It wasn't like a thing. Like you had the Beastie Boys, people were still... Unfortunately, white rappers were still stigmatized by like the Vanilla Ice thing. Um, so, you know, here comes this white rap artist who just is just so fucking good technically, you know, and is holding his own amongst his peers. And I remember when I handed it in and you went to press back when when print magazines was something, um, you you go to press and my the main founder, the editor, not the editor, I'm sorry, the main publisher, David Mays came up to me and was like, what is this? I'm like, that's Eminem. Yeah? Is he good? It's like, he's really good. Um, I know it's a little different because you barely get to see a white rapper prominently featured in that particular column or in any part of the magazine in general. But um, as you can see, that panned out quite well. About two years later, he ended up signing with Dr. Dre and the rest is history. So um, I developed the habit of just looking where no one else is looking, believing on things that you know not everybody believes in, you got to hear and still feel an artist. Um, so when I approach artists and what I'm looking for, it's those little qualities. I got a couple of check boxes that go in, in sync with my gut, you know, and my and feeling. I still believe that counts for something in this day and age. I think it's really cool that you're looking for stuff that's out of the norm and not really common. That's the only way we're going to grow. That's the only way this whole thing grows. You that's know? true. So. And uh, how did throughout the years uh, your career 
had an impact on your growth as a person? What are some of the things that you've discovered about yourself or like evolved in a way? Wow, that's an awesome question because I don't think people, and I've had this conversation recently with folks, I don't think you realize with the pressures of having to deliver as an A&R, it starts with you. Um, I've always said, you know, somebody told me this one time and I never forgot it. The A&R is the last one thanked, the first one fired. You know, like you are, you're, 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 you're only as hot as the last thing that you had, you know, like, and um, that you signed or were involved in. And um, that can take a mental toll in a business that can very much be very judgmental. If you're driven like I am and like most folks in our business, you have a standard uh, that you want to accomplish, you know, and you say that if you don't reach that standard, you start questioning yourself and just like feeling like you're a failure and, you know, again, this is a very judgmental business that we're in. Um, so I've learned a lot being self-aware. I've During my later years, I've taken a much more zen approach um, to this business because, you know, this business, like any business, is filled with characters. And if you allow these characters to really get into your system or into your psyche or in any way, it throws you off your game. Um, so, you know, I came up working around, you know, some of the most insecure people, petty people, good people, um, ruthless people, um, inconsiderate people. And you realize that it's human nature for everyone to think for themselves. That's just how it is. Some people are not, are not like that. But um, in, in navigating these, these quote-unquote treacherous waters, you've got to have an approach that will still keep you sane. So I've learned a lot about myself in doing that, you know, like, you know, my, 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 my spidey senses tingle at certain characters because the business is littered with the same kind of character. Oh, he's not a music guy. He's more of a such and such guy. Uh, this guy's definitely a music guy, but you could tell he or such and such, you know. So, um, yeah, and it's still a process. I'm still growing, you know, um, as a human being, as an executive. Uh, I'm, I'm still continuing to grow, and a lot of that is through my personal lessons, but also watching other people and what not to do the one thing I don't think people do in general. Like, forget about, you know, what they're doing. Check out what they're not doing. So hopefully that answers a bit of that question. It definitely does. So um, for some people, success means financial progress or job promotion. And for others, it's more about finding happiness and um, doing what you love. So how would you define success? That is another good question. You guys are like, you know, sophisticated <laughs> with your questions here. Um, you got to find balance. At the end of the day, this is a business. I think people get forget this is the music business, not the, you know, music, you know, cool, like music lifestyle, music culture. No, it's the business. So you want to find a balance between delivering, making sure you put up numbers on the board, as we like to say, obviously growing you know, through promotion, through experience, and then, of course, fulfillment. And for me, at this stage of my career, even though I still have so much more to go, fulfillment is a very important factor in it. I have to still love what I do, whether you're a carpenter, whether or not you're a firefighter, whatever it is, you want to continue to love what it is that you do. And once in a while, you have to readjust and um, you have to kind of take inventory, uh, mental inventory, music inventory, life inventory that's going to say, you know what, am I fulfilled by this? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think success, everyone's different. And when I was 
yeah, when I was you guys age, success was I need to make them. I need my first million before I'm 30. Okay, cool. And then you don't. Um, but the experience and the journey of me going through there has led to this really awesome experience that just, you know, I can look back on and say, shit, all right, this is, this is really dope. And allow me to say, I, what makes me happy? Um, and you know, I, the artists and the music that I'm involved in plays a very key role in that. When I got brought into do Janelle Monet, that made me very happy because it was a new challenge. Janelle Monet normally she has her team, she has her system. Um, not really, wasn't really that open to allowing other creatives into the mix. I knew that that was a hurdle I had to try to get over. Um, we accomplished that through trust, through conversation. Um, you know, she got, uh, she got, she allowed uh, other creatives into the mix uh, that she approved. That eventually led to probably her most successful album to date. And um, that was fun. So every artist is a different challenge. You know, I work with Wiz. With Wiz, I believe that there's still a whole other level of talent in him that hasn't been brought fully out yet musically. So we're at a place now where he's going to start experimenting and really trying some new things. Um, yeah, so each artist is different. I think these artists are put in front of you as a new challenge. And you're not going to grow if you're not challenged. You know, so... I hope that answers your question on success because it varies for everybody. But for me, success is there's a big part of it that has fulfillment uh, attached to it, or at least playing a very key part of it. And probably one of the best ways to describe the music industry or the reality behind it is to give real examples. Can you give us an example of a moment where you felt really low in your career and how you overcame that situation? Um, yo, you guys, man. Like, <laughs> like therapy the fuck um that happens you start questioning yourself you start looking at the changes in the environment um you start you know um you start when you work for other people there's a pressure that goes along with that to deliver um one of the lowest points in my career might have been i want to say on 2000s, between 2005 and 2009, if I can be honest, because there wasn't much activity going on. Uh, our main breadwinner, Eminem at the time, was in a really dark place. The game was changing rapidly, and the game was changing in a good way, in a way that I felt I wasn't really capitalizing off of it. We were about to enter the the Kanye era, so to speak. And the Kanye era brought to us, um, us as fans and as music people, it gave us permission to just go outside the box but still have a really sincere hip-hop aesthetic attached to it. So, um, you know, I would come across artists like, you know, uh, K. Cuddy and J. Cole and um, the clips, you know, which ideally I wanted to split up with Pusha being his own and, and, uh, and Malice doing his own thing as well. That wasn't something that I was getting really too much support on. Um, so you start questioning, like, you know, like, what, what purpose am I serving? Um, and what that did was it allowed me to really venture off and just get creative with other things, which is when I created the Monday Night Fight Club, which is a really fun outlet that I created for battle rappers. You know, a lot of battle rappers can't really make songs, but if you give them a minute of your time, they'll entertain the hell out of you. That was fun. That also showed that I can, you know, if you allow yourself to get stuck in the moment, 
that's when you started reaching that dark place where you just like start questioning things and your unique creative muscle memory. You gotta you gotta exercise that shit. So um that was pretty much the lowest point. Um I wasn't growing as an executive. Uh I was definitely not in the best surroundings in terms of learning and just getting full on support uh for certain things. Um for 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 things that allow me to go to the next level, and um, but there was a light at the end of the tunnel with that, and that was the recovery album. You know, the recovery album, which falls in line with you know those years that we'll talk about later, was an opportunity for me to like finally, believe it or not, help A and R an Eminem album. I had been there for such a long time, but the Eminem A and R system is Dr. Dre Eminem. That is it. Nobody touches that, and uh, at the time, Dr. Dre had gone off to do headphones, um, so his sound wasn't really going along with the times, or at least something that was suitable for where M needed to be at the time. So when you finally get a call like, hey, I need beats, you know, already, it's like, here, try this. Here's Just Blaze, here's Khalil, here's Havoc, here's this guy, that guy. He was all very open-minded, and it led to, you know, one of the biggest albums of his career and a massive, massive comeback. So that was fun. So again, for the dark period, if you know, I always tell folks, there is light. You know, you gotta just keep at it. And it's so easy to say, Oh man, you gotta keep at it. Trust me, trust me. Yo, you even reach that threshold where you're like, Fuck this shit, I'm done. I, I need to look into something else. What's my next five years look like? And if you keep at it and you're really setting your convictions, like an opportunity's gonna present itself. It goes back to the ten thousand hours theory, which right. I'm a huge fan of. Malcolm Gladwell's the um the uh, uh what is the Malcolm Gladwell book? I recommend it to everyone. The uh, catching a super brain fart. Uh, we'll get back to it. But the Malcolm Gladwell book about ten thousand hours. So yeah. And um as you've been talking about it, getting out of your comfort zone um could be a hard thing to do, especially like for example, you're working at a one of the top companies in the uh, music industry. So how do you um, tell your team or have them um, push beyond their responsibilities and get out of their comfort zones? Uh, the circumstances dictate that. But you got to put just, you got to get out of your comfort zone every once in a while. Once you get comfortable, you're in a room. That's the new dark place. Because now you're like, you know, kind of coasting it. And it reflects in your work. It reflects in your approach. It reflects in the end result. So you gotta, you need that change. Sometimes the universe tells us, man, whether you like it or not, up, oh, time for a change. You're not gonna like it, but here's, here it is. If you allow that change, if you allow that change to buckle you and just like punch you in the gut and hit the, hit the ground, that's, you know, that's your fault. But if you do get this, you can get back up. Um, and I say that metaphorically, obviously, but. Um, you need change in order to grow. You need that. It's like the 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 version of yourself, and you need that. So we've come to the question <laughs> where we had you think for a bit. So we will give you um, different years in the past, and uh, we'll ask you to share an important fem memory from each of it. So um, the first year would be 2000. And 2000 was when I left... Uh, what I feel is the greatest job I've ever had uh, as a writer and editor at The Source magazine. 
and I had just done five years of that was my alma mater. I never went to college and I do not encourage everyone to take this approach. My alma mater, my college years were spent at the Source magazine, um, really documenting the culture from top to bottom. Um, I had to listen to every album release during that time period to find the lyrics of the month, the fat tape, uh, the mixtapes, you know, uh, extract album cuts to turn into the section called the fat tape, coast to coast where photographers would send over photo uh, photos of events throughout the country. That's how everyone got their information on hip-hop. It wasn't so freely available the way it is now. So I knew the role that I played uh, in that regard, um, ranking the albums at the time when an album got mics, it meant everything. If we gave you five mics, it was a classic. It was rare, but if you got those five mics, people were going to go out. You got a platinum album, basically. If you got three and a half, you got a gold album. Like We knew how much power those mics had. Um, and in 2000s, when I was just burnt out, I'd done so much writing, so much, you know, I was like, I really want to do something different. And I jumped into the executive side of the business. That opportunity came to me via Paul Rosenberg and Eminem when by that time had established Shady Records. So I started my, I made my jump into the label side in 2000. Uh, yeah, I remember. Wow. And the next year, 2005. 2005. It's a time that I look at, I look back at with appreciation and regret uh, because I feel that was a very, quote unquote, that was a hot year. I was like, you know, I was involved. I was in the thick of a lot of really active things, um, a lot of really prominent projects. And I don't know that I paid as much attention to the things that mattered as I should have. And, um, you know, that was part of the beginning of the dark period where before you know it, you're like, wait, what just happened? We were hot. Now things are not. You know, what, you know, and, and, and 2005 was also a time for me to flex my creative bones a little bit with outside ventures. Um, as I had mentioned before with the Monday Night Fight Club uh, and little things like that, I managed producers here and there uh, as well. But um, 2005 was a very pivotal eye opener of a time period for me in my career, which, like, dude, wake the fuck up. Like, you're not going to get another chance like this again. And if you are, you better really maximize it to the next level the way most smart people would have done. Um, definitely didn't have the... I'm such a creative. I'm such, you know, my mind is creative first, but I didn't have my business sense as sharp as I should have during that time period. So that's 2005. How about 2010? And 2010 was the tail end of the... Uh, of the dark period, which I had mentioned before, it was an opportunity for me to showcase how good I am um, as an A and R, um, and you know I played a significant role in in Eminem's album with Recovery, um, and also with the follow up album, The Bad Meets Evil. So a lot of the ideas that didn't make it on um, on Recovery ended up being a really awesome small project called Bad Meets Evil with Royster Five Nine, and with Eminem. Um, you know I, you know some of the, the more significant moment. I never knew what it was like to have, I knew what it was like to be involved with and standing next to a hit. I never knew what it was like to put together a hit. And, um, you know, in 2009, uh, I had asked a friend, I'm looking for somebody who's a little bit on the left side, but doesn't go over people's heads. I get that philosophy from the outcast, by the way. They're the standard. Like, to me, Outkast did it better than anyone in rap history where you can go outside the box, go left, without going over people's heads. Um, and this person 
uh, introduced me to uh, uh, Alex the Kid. And Alex the Kid was this really talented uh, producer from out of the UK. And you could hear his UK sensibilities. His sonics were, they were heavy, almost borderline industrial. But there was a lot going on. It's a little messy, but in a good way. And um, she, being Jessica Rivera over at, uh, at the time, Universal Publishing, uh, introduces me to him. I had to chase him because he was kind of elusive. You know, I had a great conversation with him when I finally got him and told him what some of the things we were looking to do. And uh, a couple of days later, based off that conversation, I gave him like a uh, look. If you can stay within this tempo, if you can kind of minimize things a little bit, you know, um, let me hear what you got. And he sent me three pretty awesome ideas. The biggest one ended up being "Love the Way You Lie," uh, with uh, with the Skylar Gray reference on it, and. Um, that right there, that's it's a billion seller. It, no, it's not a billion. Um, it's a diamond single. Um, it's the it's probably the first, hopefully more, uh, diamond uh, song I've ever been involved in. And just to be part of that, which has a uh, when a song resonates with a generation, that's special. That's one of the more rewarding parts of this whole thing. Getting a win on the board is cool, but when you put together, when you're involved in a project that resonates with a generation, that to me is super rewarding and fulfilling, which is funny because it has a lot to do with the next year, um, which is... 2015. <laughs> in 2015, I was um, fortunate enough to be involved with, the, uh, with producing the original Broadway cast album for Hamilton, uh, the Hamilton Broadway musical. Um, and that, you know... That was fulfilling in more ways than I can ever describe. Um, it broke so many boundaries beyond just on the Broadway side, cool, but I'm proud to say it's the only Broadway cast album that ever sat number one on the rap charts. And for someone like me who's looking to just accomplish new things, that was one of them. Um, I think from a fulfillment standpoint, as somebody who's big on music education, I think that project covered so many grounds. Uh, it covered... History, I covered art, it covered hip hop, it covers his social studies, all kinds of things. And um, to see it succeed beyond expectations is pretty awesome. Even more so, it wasn't something that was getting the full on support because, again, cast albums don't sell. I got this idea, I want to get the roots involved. The roots don't sell. So I've got everything going against me except, fuck, I knew the first 20 seconds in hearing and seeing this. It's like, this is going to be very important, and this is awesome. Like, this is going to have an effect on my children and the children of today in a really positive way, even if it doesn't, you know, do the numbers that it's done. And it's done some pretty significant numbers. I'm proud to say it's on its way to seven times platinum. Um, we have 16 golden platinum records off that project. It's obviously made a groundbreaking uh, statement in the Broadway Feel that we hope that it opens up more uh, plays about you know with a hip hop sensibility to it and more musicals that have some sort of hip hop texture to it and um yeah 2015 was when that took place. Over the course of this these years, um, well as you're involved in these artists like important moments, whether it's a comeback or a breakout or rise to fame, whatever it may be, um, as someone that's involved in the business side. Does that put any pressure on you or put any stress on you as being the in that moment? Side of it? 
yeah, as as like as you're involved in an artist, like an important moment in their careers. Well, you have to focus on the moment, period. You have to focus on the task at hand or what the challenge is or what the account. Look, everybody, this is the business. Hits. We want hits. We need hits. We don't want cool. We don't want if that cool turns into a hit. Great. But we want hits in this day and age. I don't know that you can determine what a hit is. If I can be honest, I think the public decides what the hit is and the hit comes from a different from different areas. Now, what we think is obvious. Oh, this sounds like a hit. If it doesn't have the right resources and the right momentum attached to it, I don't know that it's going to end up living to the expectations that you thought it was when you first heard it. You don't know what's going to something could come via TikTok. Something could come from a challenge like to determine what a hit is in this day and age is not that easy. Sorry, I don't care what anybody says. They're lying to you. Um, but. That's the fun part, is that challenge. Um, so the pressures of delivering is always going to be there. As an A&R, for anybody looking to get into this business of it, yeah, like they are hovering over you. Like the end result of this, you can blame marketing all you want, but you signed it. That's your vision. So you're the one that's supposed to take this vision that you signed and have everybody fall in line or at least get an understanding of what it is that you saw that's going to make this artist the next Bruno or the next Travis or the next Ed Sheeran or the next, you know, whomever. So, yeah, that's always going to be there. It's just how you react to it. Some people are really good, like, they don't fold on the pressure. At least they don't show it. And some people wear pressure on their sleeves, you know. But you would recommend staying present and not too much worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Stay in the present. Keep in mind about the future. Don't dwell on the past. That's a lesson I've definitely learned, you know, in a variety of ways. You know, I have to have foresight. As an ANR, you have that. That's, to me, the number one quality. It's not just having an ear. It's having foresight. All right, like, you know, I'll come across an artist like, ah, he's 16. Hasn't really experienced much. His voice might change over the course of the next few. Oh, he's in love with this girl. They're going to break up. So there's some, there's probably a different part of the narrative. How will that affect them? I have to have foresight before I dive into something you know, that's going to commit company dollars and resources on that, you know, you know, I, that foresight's going to, if I don't have that, then you're winging it. Good luck with that. So. And um, during our break, you were talking about a couple of books that you really looked up to during the course of your career. So what were those books and which ones would you recommend? Yes. Um, the first one, which I was trying to remember early on, is Outliers from Malcolm Gladwell. Really awesome book on the end result of hard work and just really staying true to your craft. You know, it, it falls in line with the, uh, the, the, the theory behind 10,000 hours. Um, 10,000 hours is roughly 10 years, maybe. Um, you know, it depends on the kind of mountain work you do. But um, it, I, I believe in that rule. I believe if you just keep honing and working on your craft, you know, uh, an opportunity is going to present itself that's going to allow you to showcase that craft and really get some really next-level results. So that's a book I, I definitely recommend for all you hard workers that get to that place where you're frustrated and you don't think it's going to pan out. Take a, take a, you know, take a glance at that book. Um, from a business standpoint, uh, Appetite for Self-Destruction. I don't know. I don't remember the name of the, of the, the author's name. It's an awesome book that details how the music business, you know, uh, shifted in the early 2000s uh, from, uh, from a digital standpoint. Um, it's like we, we basically lost a business during the late aughts, you know, 2007. To the, like urban music, like there was no money being made because no one had adjusted correctly to the times of the digital consumer. 
And that book gives a great breakdown of the mistakes that were made by the powers that be at that time in not adjusting um, and how Steve Jobs took complete advantage of it uh, with the uh, with the iPod. And, 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 you know, here we are today with streaming, bringing everything back in a good place where some people call it the, 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 the golden era of, of music now because there's so much money being made. Um, another book, uh, I like, uh, there's two other books I'm going to recommend. One's The Last Mogul, the story of Lou Wasserman. That's high-level overall moguldom right there. That's not just about one particular, just like this is a story of one mogul who's responsible for a slew of other moguls and the, his plight and, and, you know, how at one point the company that he had was the most dominant talent agency music company in the world. Uh, very fascinating, very overlooked gentleman, Lou Wasserman. And the other book is uh, The Big Payback, which is the history of hip-hop business. Again, hip-hop is still young, um, so the rules are still being written. And this book does a fascinating job. It's by Dan Charnas, a former record executive turned writer. And he did a fascinating job at chronologically uh, uh, highlighting some of the biggest, some of the most impactful business moves that hip-hop has made from back in the 70s all the way till till now times. I hope he adds another couple of chapters because it's kind of like the, the game has changed so much since he wrote it and still the information on there is so, you know, uh, pertinent to what's going on now. Stories on Wu-Tang, Jay-Z, if you've ever wondered why he's considered the greatest hip-hop, you know, businessman of all time. It talks about 360s, you know, and, and, and just fascinating, fascinating book. I, I think it's like required reading if you're going to rock with me. Like to me, if you're going to intern for me, or like you need to read that book. Um, so yeah, those are the four books that I highly recommend for folks. And speaking of interns and recent graduates, uh, it's always been said that like doing your passion is a very rewarding feeling. But for a lot of students or recent graduates, they don't know what their passion is. What would you recommend for people who feel kind of lost right now, especially the younger generation? All right, guys. First off, you're too young to feel lost. All right, like, but I will admit. Uh, things didn't click for me till I was about 18, 19. That's when I, that was the first level of being self-aware where I was like, okay, I need to read a little bit more. I need to be around different people. I need to leave my block, you know, because whenever you catch, you know, hang out in the neighborhood or with your group of friends, it's like Groundhog Day. You just keep doing the same thing. So what I would do is, you know, whenever I got a little bit of money, I would just leave, go downtown and just like really where the culture was at at the time. Um, but then I would come back to home, the hood or whatever, and um, take soak in that part of the culture. But um, you start kind of figuring out there. And then from there, you want to figure out early on what it is that you want to do. Because as I was saying before, uh, when we were you know off the air, it is a 10-year process. You know, and um, you got to go through your mistakes early. So that way, you know, you readjust uh, and just keep going. And you're going to hit that wall where you start questioning things. But try to do something you're really passionate about. Because at some point, as they say, it doesn't feel like work anymore. I can sit here and tell you I love what I do. It does not feel like work. I earned that. I worked myself towards that. But it's still work, but it doesn't feel like work. And um, that was a process that took years. It is achievable for everyone, depending on how driven you are, how focused you are just how strong you are in your convictions and, and, and working your way towards what you see. I saw myself as an A&R. It took a while to get there. As I was stating, 
I didn't A&R my first project until six years after getting into the business. I didn't get to fully A&R an Eminem album till 10 years after getting being in the business. And by then I was so wired to what I thought was best for him that you know I was able to contribute and submit things that just made a little sense to him. Even to the point where before I left Shady Records and transitioned to Atlantic, the last record I gave him was Monster, which was his last number one hit. And you kind of knew that this right here could work for the man, you know? Um, so I, I'm wired to understand my artists and understand what it is, but that comes with time. So, um, yeah, and I was telling you guys before, I'll never forget my internship days. If you're an intern, any, any of you guys out there um, interning at companies, please make yourself valuable. Don't just sit at that desk and do nothing and wait for people to tell you to do something. Ask, can I help you with anything? Is there anything you need done? I would make the rounds throughout the entire Source magazine. You need anything transcribed? Anybody want some coffee? You know, um, I met some wonderful, wonderful people that I have relationships to this day from that time period because the Source itself was an outlet for a lot of very influential people, actors, models, artists, producers. Um, so don't sit there. People, we pay attention to that. We see who the future stars are. And for someone like me who's looking for the next me, I'm watching. And, you know, I pay attention to the folks that, you know, not only myself, but my colleagues as well. One of the first things we ask, like, they any good? Yeah. All right, cool. You know, because you want to see who's going to be, who's the next star. Because you want to grab onto that star and see, you know, what they can bring to the table. So please do not waste your internship just sitting there and just waiting for things to happen. And... Quite honestly, you know, shout out to you privileged folks if you are, but I know it's hard, but drive. You can't buy drive. And if you don't have that, then, you know, just um, call it a day and try to do something else. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It's you are been... very welcome. Thank you guys for having me. This is freaking no, this awesome. This was a great conversation. Yeah, it was really valuable, especially to most of our listeners who are like recent graduates or still college students. They're still trying to like look out for what to do and like how to follow their passion. So it's been really valuable for us to hear from you and your experiences. Very cool. Listen, I'm going to throw a challenge out there. I'm not sure if you guys do this already. But for anybody out there listening to this, transcribe this interview because I'd love to see it on paper. And whoever transcribes that, you know, send it over to these good folks. They'll send it to me, and I'm that's that's uh, I want to see what you're about because I really enjoyed this interview. I would love to see what it looks like on paper. I don't have time to transcribe, <laughs> so I'd love to see uh, who the hungry listener is that's able to transcribe this entire interview. Send it in a document, and just you know. Let me see what that looks like. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. For more, subscribe to Came A Long Way on Came A Long Way Apple podcast page and follow us on Instagram at Came A Long Way.